Peace, good people. Peace, peace. Hey, thank you all for coming to another episode of Soul Affirmations with Kariga and Nope, I didn't No, no, that is the no, that is the title I, with no. Kariga and no, Felicia. No, we over here big hey, we over here big trip. We're not gonna keep doing this. <laughs> here we go. Well, because I was in my mind, I was thinking about the, the I'll get it in naturally. Okay. Right. Three, one more time. Two, one. It can be a dark world sometimes. Don't be afraid to be a source of light. It can be a dark world sometimes. Don't be afraid to be a source of light. Peace, good people. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Soul Affirmations with Felicia and Kariga. With Kariga and Felicia. On the Black Love <laughs> Podcast Network. Yes. Welcome. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the way this community is forming. Mm-hmm. I'm loving the feedback. I'm mm-hmm. loving the uh, the engagement. But yeah. not just engagement. They, like folks are saying that how this work is activating something in them. Whew. I, I love those responses. Those are the rich ones right there. Yes. I appreciate anyone who has taken the time to be transparent in that way and let us know how this has impacted their light, how it's impacted their heart and their processing. Absolutely. Yeah. Because when we talk about the idea of us loving more abundantly, mm-hmm. I know that that work inherently requires the light of each one of us. Hmm. So if folks are coming here and getting their light activated to go shine it in the world. I know that that's part of the work beyond mm. romance, beyond building families and the institution of however we build our families and communities. Mm-hmm. I know that the individual work is everyone's light being activated. Okay. So that makes me feel incredibly encouraged. Yeah, thank you for introing that, Riga. And uh, of course, you know, we, we're going to start with the affirmation to kind of set the tone and... This is always fitting. <laughs> I, think, I think it is. I think it's fitting for all. And I'll, I'll just sit, stop there and I'll say it. I'll read it. If you have your text, I want you to touch your neighbor with consent. Tell them to grab it if they don't have it. Okay. Uh-huh. Turn to page 60 and you will find that it reads, be patient with yourself. It takes time and deep breathing to see the bigger picture. Ooh. Be patient with yourself. It takes time and deep breathing to see the bigger picture. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> uh, it's unique that something as consistent and as constant as time, mm. we are still learning how to engage with it. Right? Mm-hmm. It has been doing what it has been doing since the beginning of time it's gonna keep doing it too oh it's gonna do it baby (laughs) it's gonna do it every day yet we have to like orient ourselves with time and what it's doing and what we're doing yeah so there's like this ever-present relationship between us and time and how we use it right that's why you have like all these subscriptions of like time management right Mm -hmm. people are always curious about like how to manage time people are always curious about how to maximize time They'll tell you what highly efficient people do with their time, Mm -hmm. right? People are curious about how certain folks start their day and at what time. Mm -hmm. So we're all like observing 
this relationship with time. Mm -hmm. And yet it's for us to see further. We need time. Yes. Right. We need to allow time to have its process. Yes. For time to have its process instead of us trying to process and regulate what time is doing. So there's a world that's very cerebral. Yeah. And it makes sense too because it because there is data to all this, right? Mm-hmm. That's why they're looking at certain people with certain outcomes and certain measures of success as we see it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I acknowledge the metric. Mm-hmm. But aside from that metric, it is how we allow time to have its time, mm-hmm. to have its pace, mm-hmm. to have its way. Mm-hmm. So I think that like there's another set of learning when it comes on to time. And then deep breathing, right? This yes, I, because time is going to have its way. Oh, time is going to have its way. You are not. You can't control that. Mm. So and, it requires that deep breathing. And sometimes the way time moves affects your breathing. Yes. It affects your ability to breathe deep, mm-hmm. to find a deep breath, mm-hmm. right? And that is, we know a lot about that. All right, check it out. <laughs> Let's just say you're traveling, a body of water, okay? Okay. (laughs) Anywhere. It can be um, an ocean. It can Mm -hmm. be a pool. It can be a river or a lake, okay? Okay. Now, Felicia (laughs) believes in her heart at the deepest level that the Pacific Ocean is the coldest ocean. It's the coldest ocean, (laughs) y'all. Okay. That ocean is cold. I have not found agreeable waters in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. No, that water is not agreeable. I like the Atlantic. Oh, yeah. It's warmer. All right. So check though. <laughs> water is warmer. Think about what happens when you get into cold water. Right? How that impacts your breathing. Mm-hmm. So there's a real science happening. Right? Yeah. And when time has its way, sometimes it's going to take you in some deep waters, some cold waters, some dark waters. Um, but these waters call us to remember. Mm. Right? Mm-hmm. So being mm. patient with ourselves mm-hmm. because it requires time and deep breathing to see the bigger picture. Like we want to investigate a little bit about that time and a little about that deep breathing to, in order to start to see a bigger picture. Mm. I really appreciate you calling this one into the practice fee. You appreciate, Kareem. I appreciate you writing this. I appreciate you taking the time to process and and navigate us through what requires our deep breathing mm. and being okay with that. Mm. Um, I feel like this particular affirmation sits well for me in grief. Uh-huh. And it took time for me to understand that grief was love. Mm-hmm. It took time for me to be able to see that bigger picture. I had to be patient with myself. I I want to jump into that mm-hmm. more in this episode. And we talked a little bit about it in the last episode when we were investigating love a little bit more in depth. Mm-hmm. I mentioned to you how I feel that your love is you seeing me in circumstance, uh, not in judgment, not in comparison, 
we talked about a little bit of, and we've done this numerous times, I think, across episodes uh, of understanding more about loving what challenges us. But one of my favorite conversations surrounding love is the anecdote that you gave about your grandmother. And I think it's so beautiful because here she is, someone who's 87, Mm -hmm. right? And Mm -hmm. she's still investigating it. It's not something that, it's not something that you just acquire understanding of and then that's it. And that takes you through life. With time, Mm -hmm. things will evolve and change. Context change. There's There's all different things that are happening and it will require one deep breath, (laughs) being patient with themselves and allowing the process and understanding mm-hmm. as things evolve, as, th- as things change. And I think your grandmother is a wonderful example of what that even can look like later when she investigates what, what does love require of me? Listen to me. I am blown away that my grandmother gave us this investigation, gave us this question. <laughs> And I think about her life. So I'm in my head as you're speaking about her, I'm thinking about lived experiences. Mm-hmm. Some that I've seen and the many that I haven't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? right? The many that I haven't. But for context, you're talking about a woman born and raised in Kingston, Jamaica, mm-hmm. who makes her way to the UK. Mm-hmm. To Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. Shout out to everybody in Flatbush. (laughs) Shout out to everybody in Flatbush. Kate and Mm Ave. Brooklyn Ave, right? Yeah, bring them up. You got to do both. This is where it's happening for my family. (laughs) And then, you know, now resides in California with her daughter. Yeah. And her grandson is in the room writing. (laughs) This is where it comes from, y'all. I'm in the living room talking about just this journey of love, this journey of grief, how I am processing, how I'm writing. And my grandmother goes and gets this notebook. <laughs> and it's a handwritten entry. I love her cursive. Oh, her cursive is so beautiful. Just think just think about what script used to look like. Okay? <laughs> just that fine penmanship. Mm-hmm. It's it's almost like it belongs in a movie. <laughs> I can just see her sitting over like her vanity writing this note. Mm-hmm. Okay. It said many things, but the thing that jumped out of me from that page is what does love require of me? But now I think, how many years time did it take to develop that question? And would we even have this question in this podcast today had it not been for her lived experiences at 80 something, right? And if we just have any 80 plus year old listeners, I am so grateful for your wisdom. Ooh. Right? We might it could happen. It could. I know I know we're going to play this for grandma one day. Uh-huh. Right? But I think about this now because of her inquiry over time. Yeah. We were able to have that mind-shifting question brought into this space for all the listeners to hear mm-hmm. far and wide. Mhm. Mhm. Her lived experiences are directly informing our investigation of love. Mm-hmm. 
I give thanks for that relationship. Yeah. I give thanks that her inquiry has made it into this space. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> wow. So what does love require of me? Like, what is that? How do we even begin to unpack that, ask that, right? Like, how do we even begin to, mm. like, what could make her ask such things? Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I'm so grateful she did because now we're asking ourselves this question. When I think about what does love require of me? I think about being a participant in love and not obstructing love's way. Hmm. I think about, like the thing is, I know I'm jumping here, but like when you practice love, when you finally get to that place where you can surrender to love, hmm. you find out there is so much more in you and so much more to learn and so much more to grow in mm -hmm. than you previously thought possible. Mm. I say that because here I am on the spectrum of love that includes grief. Right. And I never knew that grief was love. <laughs> I didn't know that until this go round. Mm -hmm. I didn't know how to associate the two. I thought they were opposite. Mm -hmm. I, I thought that grief was the opposite of some reason. I thought it was just sad and blue and, and it didn't include love. And you're surrendering to that widen your gaze. And of understanding. Absolutely. You're it, allowing the process, allowing grief to have its time and run its course. Mm. So what does love require of me? I hear one of the things that love is requiring of me is that I let it have its time and I let it have its way. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. Let it have its time. Let it have its way. Hmm. And you have to forgive me for sitting here i'm looking at you with my my eyes and I'm, i mean i'm being very if you could see us you could you'll see this eye contact but what's happening is we are in the actual process of investigating this question this is not something that we knew we were going to investigate like this mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so um you have to forgive me Rika, as I'm staring at you and, and me running through my filter of my own processing life experiences, asking myself, what does that even look like, mm -hmm. right, for me? How do we even define love? And defining it, understanding what is required of me from that, mm. you know? And like I said in the, the last episode, I see love as as a lens that we we use, mm -hmm. right? And I think that it also is a choice behavior using that lens. And in doing so, I'm choosing to see someone not in my assumptions made of them, but rather seeing them where they are at. Mm-hmm. Um, not with comparison, not with judgment. And so if this is how I define love and I ask what is required of me right now, currently in, in, my, in my being at this time, 
then it is required of me to do just that, right? Mm-hmm. As I, I reflect on this, I think of the many times where I may have made an assumption about another couple or young couples and and how or what their love looks like and counting it as not love. Mm. Mm. <laughs> give me give me a second to to sit with where you took us and where we're going. Okay. I want to go back to before about the assessment of other couples and their practice of love. Mm. Um I want to um go about go back to the place where you talk about love as a lens. Mm-hmm. And the choice behavior. But I'll also say that love is in fact the lens. So I think it's going to be unique when we have conversations about love. I think we give ourselves the permission and freedom to operationalize it for that conversation. Mm-hmm. Because we are talking about the most expansive force in this world. Mm-hmm. right? And trying to define it will escape us like as a totality. Mm-hmm. We have love today. We have the survey of today mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. but love is so much larger than we could ever define i think mm-hmm. um, because of how deeply we can feel it and there's some things that have not been articulated yet mm-hmm. i learned about how deeply we could feel with love and grief and i have not been able to express in words all the grief that we've seen and all the ways i've seen you grieve mm. part of it is still reserved for me just loving you because of what i saw it doesn't require me to say Mm. I have not the ability to say yet. I see. But it informs my choice every day. <laughs> I think that when you talk about love as a lens, uh, I think that lens is, it becomes cognitive. And our thoughts, they inform our feelings, our being. I think it makes its way down to like us at a cellular level. Because I know that I inherited some of that love that my grandmother was talking about. Like her practice mm-hmm. has informed the way I live my life. Mm. And I inherited that. I have not even made those inquiries yet. So there's something about love that can be passed down. Yeah. I believe it uh, because I am of it. Yeah. But now when we get back, so that lens that you're talking about, that choice behavior, that choice behavior to me, uh, when performed with repetition, that is the practice of surrendering to love. Mm. And then at some point, it's no longer choice behavior. It is the way you be. Mm. And you choose to engage and be with love. Yes, choose. So that's choice behavior. (laughs) Um, But it's something that When it has its way, it's larger than you. And it even saves you sometimes. And it's not your choice to save yourself. It's the reciprocity of love coming back for all those who practice it with fidelity. Mm. And it's like it sweeps and saves you. Because I've also been saved by love that I, I didn't have to say or to feel. But it was just there for me. Mm. Um. But when we talk about the choice behavior and the lens and couples and other couples, 
young couples, but yeah. Can I also just say this? I really be trying to chill <laughs> when it come on to how people assess other couples. I know, right? right? It have, it's in the public going crazy right now, right? <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. different public figures going crazy right now. <laughs> the, the conversation that folks are having around that. Yeah. And the ill part to me is just like, From my end, mm -hmm. keep it a buck. Like the reason why I side with Grace, because mm. I don't, I don't know who your love coach was. I don't know what game. I don't know what game you following, right? And everybody is going to have to find out in their own time. Yeah, that's the certainty that I know. Everyone will have their reckoning in their own time. So as it pertains to young couples, older couples. And just relationships in general. I think we kind of talked about it too when we talked about your students and how in the, I believe the first episode we, we brought it up as far as counting love is valid based on what I was observing from parents and mm -hmm. their children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, that first assessment, yeah. right? When, when an institution, schools, mm -hmm. right? Teachers, mm -hmm. however they define. What it looks like if you love your child, right? Mm -hmm. And and then we have like these agreed upon values in that institution if that's what a loving parent looks like. And those same types of uh translation and inherited biases also come when we start assessing other folks' relationships, right? Yeah. Me and you dealt with a lot of that in the beginning. Remember? We were young and married. And what I found in my experiences, I guess just coming from like HBCU culture, coming out of Hampton and being in the the DMV for all them years. Mm -hmm. So like a lot of other young couples in many cases, but not, ex not exclusively, they were practicing the values they saw their parents practice. Yeah. Right. So these marriages, especially when you take it like young couples, somebody's paying for that wedding too. Right. Like young <laughs> couples ain't got their own bank to like, just make their own choice and get, have their own marriage. Some of them do. Yeah. Uh, many of them don't. Uh -huh, okay. Just uh -huh. lay it down like that. Yeah. <laughs> so with these, People who are investing essentially in your your wedding day, mm. you have these inherent values that you also kind of take on because of who your investors are. Mm -hmm. But they're not just your investors. They, they, they showed you what love looks like. And a lot of couples didn't understand me and Felicia in the beginning because we didn't have all those inherent values. Mm. I didn't like being locked away in the room with the men. Right, <laughs> I like that. don't do that. Don't do don't that. Be separating us. We like to hang as. Yeah, a group. I like I like fee. Right, that's <laughs> that's who I came with. So that's that's who I'm kicking it with. Yeah. Um, and we could all kick it collectively. <laughs> but that's also because Felicia and I had our our relationship has so much history. We have so much shared friends. Yeah. So we knew how to have our marriage and our relationship inside of our community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But when like. They try to, you know, send me off with the dudes. And <laughs> I think for me, it's just like at that point, being young and not knowing how to articulate everything, I didn't. When I would just hear like, <laughs> see, I have to have grace. I almost <laughs> called it. I almost called it <laughs> sucker behavior. Uh -uh. But I, I just don't like when men assume they have this inherent rightness. Mm -hmm. uh, this inherent leadership 
this inherent like kind of head mm. when informed by society and they're not aware yeah. how all society's values are like creeping up into their sacred union. Mm. So those rooms was never really comfortable, right? And then I had some brothers who we just, we were tight, right? It, it could work like that. Yeah. And I appreciate you saying that because I then asked myself, okay, where does that come from? You know? Mm. And like you say, offering grace. Have to. Yeah, you have, you have to. to. Because what I think we're all kind of, in terms of how, how do we count it as valid, you know? Mm-hmm. We all are experiencing the same kind of cognitive process. It's not the same experience, right? Mm-hmm. But much like how you talked about where your love comes from and what you've even inherited from your grandmother, mm-hmm. right? And we talked about what does love look like between a parent and a child, right? Even with your students and learning how to see all of those things is valid, how they inform our choice behaviors and how we practice, mm-hmm. how they show up for us, right? Like, mm-hmm. so I, I guess I bring that up, like, how do we count it? How do we count love is valid, Riga? Yo, do y'all hear these questions? And I, I'm not I'm not saying like you the expert. <laughs> nah, do y'all, do y'all <laughs> but, hear these questions? But I think you were one of the first people for me that taught me how to see that. Mm-hmm. And I briefly, and, and we kind of danced around it, I briefly brought, brought up like the assumptions that I may have made of young couples because um, something did not look like what I was experiencing. The same thing that I've done with some of the students, their love between their parents didn't look like the love that I was receiving Mm -hmm. from my parent. Mm -hmm. Right. And how quickly, how easy it is to make an assumption that that child or that couple is not engaging in or experiencing love. Ah, I love your honesty, Fee. I just take time to acknowledge your thoroughness and your honesty. Something that I think about as I hear you say that out loud is the reminder that we learned that um, difference doesn't mean deficit. Man. Right? I guess I set up that alley. I, I mean, off the gla- you're right. <laughs> off, the, off the glass. <laughs> but when we remember that difference doesn't mean deficit, mm. you recognize that people are trying to fulfill this practice Mm -hmm. in the ways that they can see now, right? Their gaze hasn't yet widened. One of the things that also impacts our ability to increase that gaze is the ability to breathe deep. (laughs) When you remember the pressures that black people live under. Come on, man. That can make it so incredibly hard to take a deep breath much less deep breath repeatedly as a practice. Mm -hmm. Many of us are um, functioning and surviving in different modes that have not truly begun to embrace our full wellness, Mm -hmm. the depth of the breath, Mm -hmm. the patience with ourselves Mm -hmm. that informs the patience with one another. Mm -hmm. The same way that like we can't afford our partner patience that we don't have for ourselves. Right. So learning how to love deeply, learning how to love your partner deeper, embedded in that is learning how to love yourself. So it's very seldom that somebody is highly effective in loving themselves in the deepest ways and 
doing that for their partner Mm -hmm. if they haven't yet done it for themselves. Because in many cases too, there are these inherent roles that people feel they have to fulfill that will inform how they're showing up for themselves. So just the idea that, I just want to address one, right? The idea that men sometimes have this pressure where they believe they have to be a provider. Mm -hmm. When who informed that lens were our partnerships, right? Mm -hmm. How do you feel you can talk to your partner around, here are my experiences, here are my stressors, right? Because ultimately, it's your partner that allows you to be well enough to earn in the first place. Oof. <laughs> that's that's who informs your wellness in any work situation. It's your partner at home. So we have to remember that, like, we are partners. And I will talk to you and consult with you about any pressures that I'm feeling mm. and how our partnership can help redistribute those pressures. So partnerships, marriages, friendships, young coupleships, older coupleships, it requires this kind of like this uh, distribution of weight so that we can hold hold it up and hold each other down, mm. right? But it's hard to have a redistribution of roles and weight and expectation if you have immediately made those roles inherent by values that were given to you, often genderized, right? Yeah. It's like then then are you showing up for yourself or are you showing up for the role? Mm. That's a bar. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to Monty. Are you showing up for yourself or are you showing up for the role? Write that one down. Mm. We're gonna have to get back and and pick at that (laughs) one a bit. Because that often happens in this pursuit of like wellness. Think about the role of a mother. The first role I can think of more than how we show up to our marriages, partnerships. Think about a mother. Mm -hmm. How deeply difficult it is for her to show up for herself when embedded in her role of self-identity is showing up for her children. Mm. So are you showing up for your role or are you showing up for yourself? Right? And now we have like this growing community of mothers being able to express what their needs are, be it postpartum or just building these communities because you find out like, oh, I'm still me, even though I have to fulfill this role. Mm -hmm. But not fulfilling me is not going to make me fulfill this role any better. Mm. The only way I'm going to fulfill this role is if I'm fulfilled. Yeah. Such is love. So when I recognize that like that's what's happening inside of us at a deeper psychological level, Mm. that's the grace I'm giving everybody Mm. because we're figuring out if they're showing up for themselves, if they're showing up to their role. And that's how love can look so different in so many different relationships. We don't know what informs their practice, their patience. Mm. And it's, it's just so hard to love deeply where there is no practice of patience. And then contextualize with what the black experience might be for someone. Man. So that's what makes me count love as valid. The trying, (laughs) the retrying. Have you ever heard somebody ask a question? (laughs) Like, what you want from me? Mm -hmm. Right. Or what am I supposed to do? Or when they call somebody else outside the relationship to get advice. Mm -hmm. That is evidence of that person trying. Yep. Yep. And that to me can be counted as valid. Mm-hmm. We're not at yet the part of 
uh, determining if it's effective mm. for the partner. We're not at that part of the conversation. No. But I'll give it the the human dignity yeah. of valid. Yeah. Because they're trying. Yeah. And we don't know. What we're all just trying. And we're all just trying. We don't know what book they're reading from. Even your grandmother who asked, what does love require of me at 87 is still trying. Ooh. As evidence of how long one will try. Right. Oh my gosh. As evidence of none of us really fully even being experts on it. Right. Mm-hmm. We're all just engaging actively in the practice. Mm-hmm. It is ongoing. Right. In whatever context you sit in, by your identity, by by your race, by your class, whatever pressures that come, even with that compounded with that moderated, mediated by, mm-hmm. we're all still having to try and practice. Mm. Right. So I love that you bring up the grace. So important. So very important to do. Because we're all just. Like you said, we're all just trying to, we, are we showing up for ourselves or are we showing up for the role? And in that inquiry, you'll learn so much about yourself and what you think your needs are. But in that space, that's how I learn mm. to have grace with others. Mm. I don't have the capacity to hold judgment yeah. and hold love at the same time. Yeah. So I let go of judgment and I choose love. And even when I don't understand their practice of love, I choose grace. Mm. I like that. Even when I don't understand, I choose grace. There we go. And Rika, I thank you for how you, one, sit with me as I ask these questions and (laughs) we try to refine and investigate this. And I know that we're, I mean, we're all really just trying to do that. So thank you for your transparency and doing that with me in real time like this. Mm -hmm. Um, Thank you for also doing that in my grief. You are my child's mother. <laughs> Thank you for doing that for me in my grief. And I want to. I receive it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I want to close us. I found an affirmation that I think is fitting to this conversation regarding love. Thank you to your grandmother who started us off. And um, thankful for the process that brought us here. here. If you turn to your, well, touch your neighbor, tell them, grab their text with consent, grab their text, turn to page 46. And you'll find that it reads, I find joy in learning more about myself. Exploring my emotions is an act of self-love. Hmm. I find joy in learning more about myself. Exploring my emotions is an act of self-love. Wow. That's a great place to bring us. That's how we're going to pull up. We're going to park it right there. Mm -hmm. May we all love more abundantly. And may this space continue to be a place of investigation. Love is a practice. Reasoning. Hopefully a couple deep breaths. (laughs) maybe widening your gaze, but so that we can see in circumstance and not judgment. Mm. Finding more about ourselves as a a practice of self-love and finding more about ourselves. I hope that this practice of us doing it real time provides you an invitation for you to do it in your space, in your communities, 
with your folks as well. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Soul Affirmations with Felicia and Kariga. With Kariga and Felicia. Please do engage with us. Yes. Give us your comments. We want to hear from you. Ask us a question. How did this how does episode show up for you? Ask a question. If there's anything in particular that you might want to have a conversation about or you want to hear our processing about, I know some folks have already kind of responded to us via social media Mm -hmm. with their excitement of the podcast concerning grief as well. If there's anything in particular that y'all want to hear from us about, let us know. Don't forget to to rate it. Mm -hmm. Don't forget to review it. Don't forget to follow it. Get on board. I appreciate this. Fee. Yes. You're very dope. <laughs> and our Black Love Podcast family. It's so amazing. We thank y'all too, man. For real. For real. Big ups. Big love. All right. Peace. <laughs>